James has often been referred to as the Proverbs of the New Testament. Because a lot of uh, what we've, and you've even seen this uh, so far in our series, is uh, a lot of proverbial kind of statements. And a lot of wisdom is reflected in James's letter. Here, let's look at uh, a couple of other scripture passages and what it has to say about, about the importance of wisdom, especially throughout the Old Testament. Psalm 111, verse 10 says, And the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have good understanding. Notice wisdom and understanding there. It's kind of reflected in James's question in verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? That verse sounds familiar. It's kind of echoed elsewhere at the very beginning of Proverbs, the, the wisdom uh, literature, the book of uh, wisdom literature. It says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and fools despise wisdom and instruction. A couple of chapters later, the writer of Proverbs says, get wisdom, get insight, do not forget and do not uh, turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will keep you, love her and she will guard you. Here, wisdom is personified as, as a woman. And he's saying, do not forsake her, love her. She will keep you and she will guard you. In verse 7, the beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom, and whatever you get, get insight. What is wisdom? I think if we could kind of give a, a summary statement of what is meant by wisdom, we'd say, we could say it like this. It's skill at living. Skillful living. And there's different kinds of, of wisdom. There's, there's wisdom that's kind of a humanly wisdom that's kind of generic knowledge that people can acquire and learn from like maybe trial and error or from the mistakes of others. There's a, a humanly sort of wisdom. The scripture speaks of it in that way. But it also speaks of a very of a divine wisdom. And here I think this is what the writers of Proverbs are saying is, yes, there's, there's wisdom. You can attain wisdom out in the world. But... But true wisdom comes through fear of the Lord first. You could be good at skillful living and not be a Christian. But true skillful living in a divine sense can only come through first and foremost a fear and reverence for the Lord God. And so this is the rhetorical question that James begins with today. James is concerned that his audience be wise. And I think if I could give you a little preview of what, their, what problem that he might be addressing here in this letter, or at this portion of the letter, is that there were some who were claiming to be wise. And yet, their life did not reflect the, the, the things that would typically accompany wisdom. This is very similar to what we saw in chapter 2. There were some who were claiming faith. Yet they did not have the works that would accompany faith. And as James was addressing claiming faith but not having works. He's addressing in chapter 2. In chapter 3 he's addressing those who would claim wisdom. But don't have a good conduct that reflects it. 
And so here's the rhetorical question for, for his audience and for us today. Who is wise and understanding among you? And he answers this a little bit for them in the second half of verse 13. By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Okay, so here's the first point for us. Question about wisdom. Real wisdom is more a function of the will than of the mind. Real wisdom is more a function of the will than of the mind. James goes, who's wise and understanding among you? Well, let him show it by his good conduct. Let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Notice the similarity. So flip back to chapter 2, verse 18. We saw the same similar kind of question, and actually the same verbs are used in terms of show, show, reveal, show these to me, right? James says, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. To that, James says, show me your, show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Here, resembling that in verse uh, verse 13 he says let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom you want to claim to be wise wisdom is more than a function of of the intellect it's more than the uh, mastery over a set of facts wisdom is more a function of the will than it is of the mind wisdom manifests itself in conduct. That's what James is getting at here in the introductory question that starts this section of it. True wisdom shows itself in good conduct. And true wisdom also shows itself in meekness. Notice says, he says here, in the meekness of wisdom. Um, so true wisdom is meek. The Greek, uh, the Greek word behind this is um, a proutes. It's uh, also the word uh, related to the word prous. So for those of you um, who, who have played soccer with me before, you know that we were in a, a men's league and we got to name our team. And uh, we called, I said, I proposed Prouse FC. And people were like, what? And it sounded kind of German-ish. It sounded kind of cool. And, you know, like Germans are good soccer players. So, hey, that works, right? And um, and I the reason that I chose this is because this was this was the chant for my college soccer team, uh, you know the cheer as you huddle together, you know, and you say, whatever, what what do teams say when they gather, you know, they all throw their hands in there and they say something. Well, that was ours, praus. It's it's a Greek term for meekness, right? What a strange thing to say as you're about ready to go on the field of competition, right? Meekness in in Greek, right? Um, but there was, there was an intentionality behind that. It, it's, it's not weakness. Meekness, uh, I've, I've, see, I've read, described as uh, strength under control. Strength under control. It's, it's having a proper perspective on yourself and your true place. No matter what kind of wisdom or knowledge or strength or... Uh, skills or accomplishments you might have, you still would recognize there's, there's a level of humi humility there. Strength under control. And that was our motto as we were getting ready to take the field. Strength, but under control. And our team often won the Good Sportsmanship Award uh, 
We would win a lot too, but we won the good sport. We won in a good way. Prowse. This, this is the Greek term here, meekness. It's, it's related to that. So true wisdom is, is not just a matter of the mind and of the intellect, although it's not less than that. True wisdom is a function of the will and manifests itself in meekness, in meekness. James now goes on, after asking this introductory question, he goes on here to um, spell out the difference between true wisdom and false wisdom. Or between genuine wisdom and a counterfeit wisdom. He doesn't use those tr terms, true and false, or, or genuine or counterfeit, but he uses a couple of other terms uh, for it. Or we could say worldly wisdom as opposed to heavenly wisdom. First, he starts with the worldly wisdom and its fruit in verses uh, 14 through uh, 16. James continues, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. Here is what counterfeit, counterfeit wisdom looks like. Bitterly envious. The word here is uh, zealous. It's where we get the word zealous or zeal. And it can have a very positive things. Like when Jesus was overturning the money changers in the temple. They applied the Old Testament passage to what Jesus was doing. Zeal for, for your house um, compelled Jesus to do this. Can be a very positive things, but, but often in the New Testament, this zealousness, if it, if it is a kind of envy for something else that somebody else has, can be a very negative thing. And I think that's what James has in mind here, the negative sense. And he adds the word bitterness to it. Here again, we start to see a little bit of the problem that James is addressing here with his audience and what God is addressing to us. Those who would claim to be wise, and yet they were bitter or jealous or envious or selfish or arrogant. James's point is, if you are bitter, jealous, envious, selfish, or arrogant, then you can't be wise no matter what you claim about yourself. Those, ver those words that you see there, um, zealous, uh, bitter jealousy and selfish ambition make a, an appearance again in verse 16 too. Here's the first kind of two traits of this false or worldly wisdom. He goes on, notice in verse 15, this is not the wisdom that comes down from above, right? So here he's clearly contrasting two different kinds of wisdom. There's the wisdom with the scare quotes, and then there's true wisdom. This wisdom with the scare quotes, he goes on and describes it in three ways in verse 15. It's earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Earthly. Kind of is, is worldly, it means it's from the earth. And this is clearly contrasted with the wisdom that comes from above as he begins that verse. That's the first one. The second one is unspiritual. And the, the Greek word here is actually related to the word suke or, or psychology. It's where we get the word psychology for soul. It's kind of like a, um, an adjective, kind of a, a diminutive soul. 
or soul-like. And this is a word that's used to pertain to the natural world and whatever belongs to the natural world. It's contrasted quite often with uh, the Greek word for spirit. You see these contrasted uh, in uh, many places. I don't think I have the slides for them here, but just let me give you a couple of other uses of this term in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul writing in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he's contrasting the natural person, and it's the same Greek word here, unspiritual, it's translated there as natural. You have the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, right? So there's the contrast. For they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Here's a second example, a little later in 1 Corinthians. He's talking about the resurrected bodies in 1 Corinthians 15. And the resurrected, um, it says, it is sown unnatural, and this is that, uh, this same word again, unspiritual body. It is raised a spiritual body. He's referring to our bodies. It's sown, manifests itself in this world as a natural body. It's raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, he goes on to say, there will also be a spiritual body. So notice the, the contrast between the two. Jude puts it uh, quite clearly this way too in verse 18 of Jude. It is these who cause division, worldly people, and it doesn't even have the word people, it's just psuchikos, it's just that word. And then he says, describing them, devoid of the spirit. So you have earthly wisdom, unspiritual wisdom which is contrasted with the spirit so it's translated here as as unspiritual and then the third uh, term james uses for this is demonic i mean he gets it he goes there kind of quick right demonic so it kind of tells you the 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 nature um of it well the, the nature of it the, the construct of it and the origin of it, that this, is, this comes from this worldly kind of wisdom that James is writing uh, and addressing with this congregation uh, against. So throughout Christian history, uh, Christians have often referred to the principal enemies uh, of humanity as the world, the flesh, and the devil. Don't, you, you can find it in Scripture. You don't find it spelled out in those three terms quite clearly, but... All through the early church fathers, they would speak of the world, the flesh, and the devil. Even in our liturgies, even the Book of Common Prayer uses the word, the flesh, and the, the devil. I think James is following that quite clearly here. The world, earthly wisdom. The flesh, unspiritual. And the devil, demonic. He goes on to say that this worldly kind of wisdom is... Um, also false to the truth in verse 14. If you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. He goes on to talk about the fruit of this worldly wisdom in verse uh, 16. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. Where jealousy and selfish ambition are, there you're going to have disorder. And if you have this disorder, you're also going to have vile practices too. This is 
This is worldly wisdom. No examples? Do you know of examples of worldly wisdom? Can you think of some? I was sharing this with my, my wife, who's not here today. She's home with our sick daughter. And um, so I started to describe it a little bit, and she goes, yeah, politicians. And, and I went, well, yeah, and this could be in the realm of politics. And then I had to explain it a little bit more, and she goes, yeah, politicians. And so I was like, okay, that's a good place to start, you know. You can find this worldly wisdom anywhere. You know, so boasting about this knowledge or skills that you might have, except that it's manifested with um, envy and jealousy and bitterness and boasting. James says when that happens, you, you have all kinds of evil practices and disorder that comes along with it. And he goes, and that, that might be wisdom, but it's unearthly wisdom. It's an unspiritual wisdom. In reality, it's a, it's a demonic wisdom. To contrast that, James says, or we could summarize it this way, worldly wisdom isn't wisdom at all. To contrast that, James talks about a heavenly wisdom in verse 17. But, he says, the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Notice again the reference to from above in verse 15. He talks about this earthly wisdom is not coming from above. Here he re resumes that in verse 17. This wisdom which is from above. And then he gives eight attributes for it. The first one, and this is kind of the preeminent one, is pure. You know, it's innocence, moral blamelessness. The other seven are kind of uh, interestingly grouped in groups of three. The first three, uh, and I think this is fascinating, and maybe this doesn't matter a whole lot into how we apply this to our lives, but I, think, I just think it's fascinating. The first three actually are all alliterated in Greek with the letter E, and then he has two of them that are full, two fulls, and then the last two are alliterated with uh, an A or an alpha and rhyme. So it's a very interesting way to read it. This is, again, kind of where James is kind of being wisdom literature-like. And so here they are, peaceable. Wisdom from above is, is peaceable. It's peace-loving. Wisdom from above is gentle. It could be translated as considerate toward others. The wisdom from above is, um, and this is just one Greek word here, but to translate it, we need a couple of different words. Open to reason. Elsewhere, it's, I've seen it as submissive. So it's kind of like, well, open to reason and submissive. Well, what does that mean? It means you're, you're open to being corrected on debatable matters. You know anybody that's like that when you, you need to go and approach them about something and they're they're receptive to what you'd have to say. So true wisdom is peaceable. It's gentle. It's open to reason. It's open to to hearing. And he goes on um, full of mercy. And full of good fruits. And the last two impartial. And sincere. That's true heavenly wisdom. So let me let me stop here and ask, 
what James began by asking, and let me ask all of you and, and ask me. When looking at worldly wisdom and its fruit and the heavenly wisdom and its attributes, who is wise and understanding among you? James ends with the fruit of heavenly wisdom in verse 18. The results of the genuinely, genuinely wise. He says, And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Now here you'd have, um, there's a connection that needs to be made um, between wisdom. Now we've seen wise and wisdom reflected many times in this passage, but there's another term that kind of keeps coming up on the positive side. There were a couple of terms that repeated on kind of the negative or worldly wisdom side, and that was jealousy and selfish ambition or zeal and selfish ambition. On the other side, there's another term that kind of keeps coming up. And I think is a theme throughout this passage here and on into chapter four. And that is the theme of peace. So true and genuine wisdom, there's a through line, a direct line from true, genuine wisdom to peace and peacefulness. Because notice that's one of the attributes that's listed in verse 17. Wisdom of above, is above all, first pure, then peaceable, right? And then notice how it's used twice in verse 18. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Genuine wisdom, as opposed to fraudulent wisdom, can bring peace to a community. Uh, the genuinely wise, you could say, as he began there, who is wise and understanding among you? And he ends with a peacemaker at the end. Now, there's there's two ways to kind of read this verse. And there's just a subtle little nuance here. One is to read this as a promise that peacemakers will receive for their efforts. And that's kind of how the ESV reads it here. A harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. You can kind of see how that's the harvest of righteousness is what is received by the peacemaker for their for their efforts. So in other words, like the peacemaker is like a, a farmer sowing the seeds of peace and that produces the fruit of righteousness for the peacemaker. There's a there's another way to read it, and that is it's not a, a, a promise about what the peacemaker will receive, but a statement about what the peacemakers produce. What they themselves are producing, not for themselves, but in others. Okay, it's a subtle difference. It could read either way. You know, the commentators, they kind of say, yeah, it could be that one. It could be this one. It could be either way. The NIV kind of takes this second angle, and, and I like this too. So let me read this, and I'll read it a couple of times. It says, peacemakers who sow in peace reap the harvest of righteousness. Now, you might be reading this go, okay, it sounds the same to me. And again, this is just a very subtle difference. But the idea is that they're sowing. The, the idea is essentially the same. They're sowing peace. And it's reaping a harvest of peace, of righteousness, in peace for the entire community. 
community. Could be either way, but I like that image and I like that idea. That the truly wise is not going to be selfish and envious and bitter and jelly, jealous. The truly wise is peaceable. The truly wise taking this image of a farmer sowing, is sowing seeds of peace that yields a harvest of peace and righteousness in the community. He's not just a recipient of peace, he's a sower of peace. So given that through line and the connection here, James is questioned, who is wise and understanding among you? He's essentially asking here, Who is a peacemaker? If you're claiming to be wise, show it by your good conduct. Here's not good conduct. Bitter jealousy, selfish ambition. Earthly thinking, unspiritual thinking. Demonic kind of wisdom. Where that is, there's going to be disorder. There's going to be every vile practice. Who is claiming to be wise among you? Show it. Show it by the things that actually do accompany wisdom. Show it. First, in purity. Second, in peaceableness or agreeableness, gentleness, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Who is wise? The wise one is the peacemaker. Who is sowing a harvest, sowing seeds in peace and yielding a harvest of righteousness in the community. So here's the question. Are you wise? Who is wise and understanding among you? The second question that I think James is implying here and that we could take from this is, are you a peacemaker? Do you sow the seeds of peace. That's the fruit of heavenly wisdom. I think we would do well to remind ourselves we can't manufacture this heavenly wisdom on our own. Remember how Psalm 111 read The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, the reverence of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and understanding. So if you're asking yourself, or if you're presented with this question, who is wise and understanding, and you you fall short, as I do, in that depiction of what a wise person is, then let's reset. By reminding ourselves of our place with Christ. The fear of the Lord. And again, this is not terror or dread or fear. This is reverence and respect. Reverence and respect to our God. And a proper understanding of our relationship with him, which removes all boasting, correct? Because we had nothing good within us to merit Christ's work for us. And yet he chose to love us anyway. He chose to send his son for our payment and our sin. And if we're humble, 
And we remind ourselves that we need Christ, that we are sinful creatures that need to be redeemed and need him to come and rescue and deliver us. Then we will be have a proper perspective on ourselves. Right. We will be prous. We will be meek. So let's reset. If we're lacking in wisdom, we're not manifesting that wisdom. Let's return back to the fear of the Lord, our God. And then ask ourselves, are we wise and understanding? Are we peacemakers? And do you sow seeds of peace? Let's pray together. God, we, having heard your word, we thank you that through James, you were able to Reveal to us the ways in which, though we may claim to be wise, we really are fools. God, we, we thank you that you've revealed to us the ways in which we fall short of manifesting true wisdom. And so, God, we turn with fear and reverence to you and to your son, Jesus. We confess the ways in which we fall short, where we don't manifest that wisdom, where we're not agreeable and pure and peaceable. And so can we confess that, God, and we receive the wonderful truth that even when we fail in those many ways, the blood of Jesus still covers those. And we thank you that by your spirit, you enable us to live differently. And so, God, we ask you by your spirit to help us to do good deeds in the meekness of wisdom. And God, that you would help us to sow seeds of peace to reap a harvest of peace and righteousness to those around us. God, we ask that you'd help us to do that to that end, to bring glory and honor to you. And it's in the name of your son, Jesus, that we pray. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Friends, will you stand for our closing uh, benediction today? A reminder today uh, that the offering box is in the uh, the hallway. Today is the last uh, day of uh, 2019, uh, or at least the last Sunday to to um, to make a, a contribution for the 2019 year. So uh, encourage you to to do that if you need to do that. And then reminder: please take a handful of those things and start to be praying about um, friends that you can ask to the family movie night. For American Gospel, Christ Crucified. Uh, if you have some more questions about that, I'd love to, uh, to talk with you afterwards. So just come on up. And, um, and here is our, our word of benediction as you go. Now, brothers and sisters, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father and the fellowship that we share in the Holy Spirit be with you as you go. Thank you. Thank you.